Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benio. Today, I have a guy with us today, uh, Mike B., who is a police officer, sergeant on the East Coast at, a, at an agency. And we're keeping it vague for many reasons to not draw any more attention that he already has. And that's his request. But the one thing we have to focus on is that he's going to attempt to provide a lot of value as he's been involved in three OIS is uh, well in the course of his duties, obviously. So without further ado, Mike B. What's up, man? How are you? What's going on, bro? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, thanks for being on. I know that we originally were going to get together and then this place just got nuts and now we're back together. I'm excited to actually do this podcast because I feel like we're going to get a lot of value out of this podcast. So people who are listening, and right now we have over a quarter million subscribers to this podcast, which is pretty wild. Um you know, we really started focusing on this podcast back in maybe April. And we have, I think, over 4 million downloads, almost to be at 5 million by the time the year ends 2021. So we're now quadrupling down on a lot of the things we do with the podcast here. And people can expect to see more interesting and more valuable stuff coming from this podcast at this training company. Guys, if you aren't part of our Street Cup Training Facebook group or on Instagram following us there, we're actually TikTok. LinkedIn, all that stuff. There is so much free content for the police officers listening to this that you'd be a fool not to join. So check us out on our social media platforms. And often people are asking me about where they can find our training program, streetcop.com. It just doesn't get any easier than that. So without further ado, Mike, if you want to give us a little background, maybe just your age and some of the, how long you've been on the job and keeping it as vague as you possibly can, uh, as you've requested with respect to your agency. Yeah, man. So, uh, graduated the academy in 2013. Been a cop for, I guess that equals like about eight or nine years now. Uh, work on the East Coast, medium sized agency, and uh, did some time in patrol. After patrol, went to a full time SWAT team for a couple of years, then ended up uh, getting promoted out of that, sent back to patrol. And uh, that's where I'm currently at now, back, back patrol. And I still do the, uh, the part time SWAT gig, but uh, for now, for now, we'll see where the career goes from here. Awesome, man. Let's go right into your first incident. Might as well just jump right into it. Yeah, so uh, so first incident, uh, obviously, your first one is your, is your first one. And, uh, and I try to kind of tap into other people that have had incidences. Obviously, everyone's going to be a little bit different, but there's certain, certain things that end up being really, really relatable. So uh, I was off duty. And I heard a call come out over the radio and I ended up getting called out for a, uh, for a barricaded subject after a domestic, we ended up go there, uh, surround the house, do, uh, do your typical barricade stuff, uh, you know, call outs and, and things of that nature. And after hours of communications with the guy, uh, you know, it all culminates to him coming to the front door with a gun and, uh, and I ended up, uh, you know, having to make a really, Really hard decision then. Uh, after after that it's happened, we rendered aid. Um, he ended up surviving that, and uh, you know we we did all the litigation stuff afterwards. And uh, and I'll tell you what, something that really surprised me is you know what you know the the training and stuff you get. They say you know your training kicks in, 
but once uh once everything's done, nobody really talks about or trains you for like the uh, the immediate after or the long term after part of a uh, of a critical incident, and that's kind of what I want to touch base on here today. Because you know you'll get the training at the academy, the the qualifications, the firearms training. They'll they'll really work with you on that kind of stuff, but nobody really schools you up on how to how to prepare you and your family for uh, for you know what comes afterwards. So, cool. Um, how about number two? Uh, number two, I was, uh, I was in an off duty gig, uh, when a homicide occurred right in front of me, it was a shootout between two, uh, two gang members and I intervened. And then, uh, during the, during the intervention, the exchange of gunfire between me and one of the subjects, uh, he, uh, he was hit and he, he succumbed to his injuries. So when you say off that, duty, you're just off duty, you're working off duty, working off duty. You know, cops okay, so, don't make a lot of money. so we have our little, uh, you know, our little security gigs, and uh, and that's you know that's one of those gigs. I was working security when a felony happened um, in my presence, which then, for most most agencies and departments, that turns you into a cop, and then you know you're expected to take law enforcement action after after a felony occurs in your presence. So in full in full uniform, full rig, the whole nine. No, no, jeans and a polo. Oh, with yeah, a, with, with a pistol on. You just want. Concealed, yeah, I was from a concealed concealed carry position. Okay, so you know, let's let's stop on this one for a second. The first one, obviously, you were in SWAT capacity, so you're loaded up, you're geared up, you're ninja turtled up. <laughs> yeah, right. Get your ninja turtle gear on. Yeah. Um, the second one, you're off duty. What yeah. are some of the lessons you learned from this off duty officer involved shooting when you're working security? And um, you know. Do you think it could have been, you should have been better prepared? And I'm just trying to poke and prod, not trying to criticize. Yeah. So obviously, you know, definitely, definitely could always be better prepared. And after every incident, if you're not, you know, taking a good, honest look in the, in the mirror and kind of reassessing your preparedness for the incident, then, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice. But when I'm, when I was working that gig, I know that from prior experience that, this kind of stuff can happen. I can't be the guy that's like head in the sand, like, Oh, I'll never, I'll never be involved in anything. You know, in fact, just two weeks after coming back to full duty from my previous incident that I just described, that's when this went down. So I was, you know, just recently put back to full duty and then boom, two, two, two and a half weeks later, um, involved, involved in another incident. So I carried the full size agency duty off duty which most cops don't do. You know, most cops when they're off duty, even on duty, when you get to be an investigator, they carry that dinky little Glock, you know, like a yeah. Glock 43 or Glock 43, because that's their, that's their badge of honor for becoming a, a detective or, you know, that's their, hey, it was really comfortable. Yeah. Well, is it the one you want in a gunfight? In fact, I don't even want a pistol in a gunfight. I prefer a rifle, but if I'm right. stuck with a pistol, I'm going to have, you know, something that's full size, good capacity. And then, you know, can have a weapon amount of light. This one, you know, ten. It, this one actually happened at night, so an advantage to to weapon mounted light there. So then you can use two hands instead of that old one handed, one handed shooting that everybody you know taught you in the the academy. So I was wearing concealable body armor under my shirt. A lot That's of cops good. don't. Extra mag, handcuffs. Uh, so I felt I felt I was semi prepared. There's some you know things I wasn't prepared for, which was the uh, it happened in a, in a large crowd, and the crowd you know obviously took off running when the volley of, you know, gunfire took off. But afterwards, what do you think that crowd did? They came back. 
yeah, man, they converged. <laughs> they came back and, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't their biggest fan. Um, luckily I had a, I had a partner there with me that night too. So we just kind of went back to back and we're like, holy smokes, man, we don't have, we didn't have any less lethal options. We didn't have any spray or anything like that. So maybe for some dudes that work off duty gigs, um, man, wouldn't be a bad, bad idea to have a less lethal option to kind of chill out a crowd. If, uh, if they start, you know, start pushing you or pepper them up, make them, you say chill out. I'd say spice them up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, it's nice. funny. Um, two things. Where I worked, they did not allow you to work off duty without a full rig. As a matter yeah. of fact, I actually found it admirable that the administration was wise enough to wear a full rig to work. Uh, not everybody, but majority of them. And the reality is, I go right back to there was a uh, m- you know major critical incident that occurred where Joe Seals, Detective Joe Seals from the Jersey City Police Department, lost his life. And it was a very, very extreme active shooter situation in Jersey City, New Jersey, which kind of people forget about. There were like four or 5,000 rounds of gunfire exchange in that, in that shootout. They were going to kill uh, hundreds of Jewish children. That was the plan that day. And they had a bomb in a, in a rental truck to blow up Jersey City. And they said the thing would have leveled what would be equivalent to a 100 yards in each direction. Would have leveled it completely, the, the size of the bomb that they had. And, and what people don't know is are, are the SWAT guys, I don't know which ones in particular, but jumped in that van and drove that van with a bomb in it, active bomb in it, as far as ways that they could from Jeez. the inner city of Jersey City. So what you did know was that uh, made a lot of command staff from that agency ended up getting involved in that gun battle. It was during the day and you had command staff respond out to there and, and, and literally engage actively. So being prepared in a situation like that, especially today's day and age when you don't know when some kind of riot will spark, having a full rig on, I think is an important thing. And if I was a police administrator, I don't even know if I would permit anybody in the building to not have a full rig on who was a uniformed police officer. And I think I would really start to curtail what my detectives looked like. Um, I think the days of us showing up in suits, unless it's court as detectives is probably a really, uh, you know, just, it's just not a good idea anymore. We can go oh, with 511. For that, them dudes specifically are over there. Cause they don't want to be in a uniform. <laughs> Dude, listen, 511 pants, right? Like, <laughs> The polo, we went to those. I thought it was very smart, making sure they have a, a, a tactical vest at all. You know, part of the SOP, you must have your tack vest with you at all times. And, yeah. and, 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 you know, like, you know, you're going to have to, I, it's crazy, man. Like, who are you chasing around in floor shine shoes? Right? What happens <laughs> when shit hits the fan and you're, and you're dressed like you're going to a wedding? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the, the days of the romantic, I'm not saying because I don't think it looks good or whatever, it doesn't look professional. I'm saying the days of it, they have to be over. We've got to get past this idea that we need to look a certain way in a certain in a certain setting. Uh, if you're in the course of your duties, that's just me. That's my personal opinion on and, and for the fact that I don't want you to die, for the fact that I want you to be prepared in case shit hits the fan. So a lot of our detectives actually went to like a more tactical shoe, uh, basically your 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 tactical pants and a polo, and it looked professional. You know what I mean? Yeah. Embroidered polo, and they had their vests on either underneath the polo or they had a carrier with them that they could just throw on if they needed to. Uh, so I understand, listen, I'm, I'm empathetic to a lot of things, but I still think you don't know when it's going to hit the fan. And I think we've emphasized that point. Recently, somebody said to me, it didn't feel like the pepper spray was an important thing. And I said, well, I have to completely disagree with you because uh, pepper spray is, is, is a light tool. And it had to do with the, the baton, right? The baton is a, is a complete waste. I hate the baton. Yeah. yeah, it's the dumbest thing on earth. And, and I don't know when somebody from an administration is going to step up to the plate and say, all right, let's get rid of these things. This is, this is a waste. 
Yeah. They're an absolute waste. I don't know why people are afraid to get rid of them. They're, they're, Dude, they look horrible. Like if you ever see a cop using a baton on somebody, that looks horrible. Like they don't even they don't even work. Let's face facts, Mike. You know. Yep. No, it's true. So, uh, you know, pepper spray, like you said before, I had a basically a riot situation at one point. Right, like twelve family members really trying to attack us, and I I, I laid a, a stream right across all their faces, and dude, it sucked the life out of them. I mean, they just dropped like a sack of potato. I mean, they were just done, right? And, yeah. and, and even if so, if only would say. Cops, cops hate pepper spray too. So as much as we hate it, you got to figure other people hate it too. Now, is it always going to work? Man, can't guarantee that, but most of the time, pretty oh, it'll work. good. Oh, it's it's yeah. a it's a good one. And you know, dude, the the impact of it is is so insignificant that I I don't even know if you can really even. I know that the likelihood of there being some kind of use of force complaint or some kind of damages from it is almost nil. Like an attorney won't touch it because it's literally just a, a an irritant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so like, there's no substantial body bodily injury from a can of pepper spray. Yeah. No um, long. Yeah. Other than the hydraulic needle effect, that's technically could possibly happen. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're getting into the weeds of it. <laughs> yeah. Now you're talking about taking the can, holding it to next to somebody's eyeball, and firing it into their fucking eye. Yeah. Right. No yeah. different than maybe my kids might um, do this to me with a water pistol in the middle of the fucking summer. <laughs> yeah. So. um Okay, so that I mean, that's, you know, listen, it's good for all of us to have the ability to listen to somebody who's been involved in this, especially in an off-duty capacity, on what could have been done better, because we don't discuss this, and nobody's going to understand what could have been done better. So you were somewhat prepared, and I, I applaud you for that. So that's number two. Yeah. Let's go to yeah, number so three. There definitely were, you know, some things that I didn't, I didn't do perfectly so, and a good example of that is the uh and this you know this probably makes some dudes laugh is uh the the batteries on my weapon light were were going down so the the brightness of my light wasn't as as bright as it it should have been could have been and i ended up during the incident and afterwards having to switch the handheld flashlight that i had on me so what i had preferred to have a weapon light with batteries that were good to go yeah so now you know swap them out more frequently just because at the time i thought they were good to go and they kind of let me down in the heat of the moment so swap your batteries did you guys get a, um, did you guys have radios on you? No, no, no. The old iPhone 911. Help. <laughs> mm -hmm. Did yeah. you, were you, could you have had a radio on you for that, for that situation? Yeah, for sure. And uh, afterwards, guys started carrying them with them just to, just to have a good, that's a good, that's a good point. Good debrief tool, radio, way faster than a phone 911 trying to explain who the freak you are and what assets you need, you know, and then a dispatcher relaying it to the patrol units and stuff. It'd be nicer to have a one-on-one -on -one communication with them. So also last thing I have for you is do you have anything that, that made you obvious that you were a police officer? Did you hold a badge up? Did you, did you have some kind of insignia? So when they showed up, they didn't kill you? Uh, badge. I had a badge on me displayed, but for the most part, you know, I was wearing jeans and a polo shirt. So there was an incident and, uh, with, over the with summer. This stupid haircut. Most people assume I'm a cop, but. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there was that incident. I don't know what state it was in the Northwest somewhere over the summer where the police officer killed the other cop who was, who was shot and had stopped the, and that, that's a potential to happen, man. I mean, listen, you know, I, I'm, I'm off duty. I see you, you're in a gun battle, right? I don't, you look like you're the aggressor. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, How do I know yeah. who you are? So simple stuff of like taking, like, you know, people, I always find it comical that guys don't carry a badge. Like they'll carry just their police ID. You yeah. Know? It's good. 
even just the badge is small enough because you know everybody's done those uh, those judgmental courses where you're you're shooting and you know maybe on a piece of paper it's a cop with a badge but you didn't see it right away so. Right, but Still, like even taking the badge out, like once you're in that shooting and holding it up like across your chest like this, right? I'm holding yeah. mine up on the, in the video here. Like just keeping it here while you're <laughs> waiting for it, like so you could like, you know, you're done, the shooting's over, just keeping it or up like Please. where you hold it, you know, keep it where you can see it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but guys Wait. don't do it. They carry, they're carrying ID. They're not carrying a badge because the, the, I just, I have people, to, look how thick this wallet is. People say, oh, you know, that, that wallet's so big. I go, yeah, man, I carry a pistol. Right. Like I have to, if you show up to somewhere, if I'm at Walmart buying wrapping paper and some nut comes in and starts smoking Walmart and I, and I lay rounds down his way and you show up, who knows what the message could be to the cops when they show up who are going to be pumped on adrenaline. I'm going to stand there and literally hold this badge, like on my forehead, like with my hands up and my gun holstered. You know what I mean? Yeah. Blue, blue, blue. Yeah. I don't, whatever you want to yell, but things yeah. you got to think about, we're trying to improve things. Okay. Yeah. Number three. Yeah. So number three happened in, uh, in a patrol setting. So now I'm, now I'm in full uniform. The call was, uh, domestic related. When we get there, it ends up being guy has a gun pressed to his head saying he wants to kill himself. And after some time of negotiation, he ends up, uh, turning the gun and pointing it at me and a couple officers. And at which point, you know, we take action. So that was a uh, suicide by cop situation um, he ended up having a loaded handgun maybe would have done it himself but uh but yeah really really tragic okay so three ois is in essentially eight to slash nine years big deal yeah yeah really unfortunate uh statistical anomaly well, yeah for sure and, and by the way you're not the only person in the world who has had that happen uh and occur and fortunately enough I'm glad to see that you're still in the up and up. Tell me some of the things that you have dealt with after all these OISs. Let's go into family-wise and personal-wise. Yeah, so, you know, the the during the during part, you know, is uh, is the part that they all they all train you for the academies. You know, hey, these are scenarios. They run you through scenarios, and they do a pretty good job of it. Um, giving you a baseline for for firearm skills. Hopefully, uh, academies out there moving towards simulation training where they're doing some force on force. And then a lot of academies, you know, starting to switch to a more dynamic uh, defensive tactics program. So uh, I was lucky and fortunate to have, you know, decent training going into it. And then, you know, the additional training with, with the SWAT stuff, but the during everybody talks about the auditory exclusion and I had it for some didn't have it for others. And then the tunnel vision, I had it for some, I didn't have it for others. Uh, but immediate immediate after on my first one um buddy who was standing next to me he uh slaps my shoulder once everything's good to go you know the guy's got treatment he's off going to the hospital and he, he slaps my shoulder he's like hey man uh you know call your lawyer i was like call my lawyer i ain't got a lawyer mm -hmm. i didn't i didn't do nothing wrong like what do i need a lawyer for and uh that's when it kind of like started closing in like nobody ever told me that even if you didn't do anything wrong like still a good idea to have a 24 7 number for a lawyer in your phone because dude you I, I didn't know the next step i didn't know the very next step i didn't know what i was supposed to do and it would have been nice to have some guidance so there i am scrambling asking dudes hey man you got a number for a lawyer you got a number for a lawyer and uh luckily i had a dude who had been been through it before man really really gave me some solid guidance. He's, you know, somebody I really respected. He hadn't been involved in an officer involved shooting. And I just, I leaned on him heavily because, uh, cause he, he'd been through it. So. 
Let me jump in here real quick and say a few things. Um, number one, if you're going to retain a lawyer or have one on speed dial and you're going to be involved in an officer-involved shooting, a few things I want to say. Uh, first one is, I would not depend, and this is going to hurt some feelings, but I would not depend on your union attorneys, the ones who are supplied to you for, and I, you know, I'm sorry to say this, who are supplied to you through the union list of the FOP or PBA attorneys that they have on their list. Generally, they're not very good. Um, and I'm sorry to say that sometimes they are, but overall, they don't care. They're just getting paid a certain vig. It's no different than when you work at a company and you contribute 10 bucks a month to this, to this fund, you get legal representation. Um, it's kind of crappy. So that's my first piece of advice. Second one is, uh, if, you, if, you, if you are going through an officer-involved shooting, you know, one thing you want to do is ensure that you, know, you really get your ducks in a, in a row before you sit down with your internal affairs and start going over what, what occurred and what unfolded. And this is not you trying to be trick, uh, tricky. You got to understand something. There's, there's a lot of digression in time that you have to relax a little bit before you can start getting, I mean, you just literally shot at somebody or shot and killed somebody. What we used to do at our agency, we actually had an officer-involved shooting and we trained for it. We knew exactly what to do. How our thing went was we had uh, first police officer on scene, once scene was secure, would exchange weapons with the police officer who shot. You never want to disarm a police officer. So psychologically, that's, that's improper. So you give him your gun, you take his gun, right? Well, again, we have other guns back at the police agency that we can trade off to that officer once he gets the preserved weapon back in, uh, and you document as such. Secondly, what we do then is we take that police officer to a trauma center and get them treated for shock before it starts to happen. So that police officer is brought to an emergency room and given Valium uh, immediately. And, you know, obviously escorted by some kind of supervisor who is empathetic and kind and caring, not an ambulance, and just in a police car. And we're gonna get them into an ER and to get them to, you know, get into some kind of conversation where we can get them calmed down. Cause you don't know when the body's gonna go into shock psychologically after something just occurred. So we're gonna treat for that. Now in turn, while that's happening, we have other mechanics moving along where we can get somebody the representation they need from a, an attorney who's appropriate, not the fucking guy who the FOP recommended. I'm telling you, I've been there. And I'm like, this is my fucking attorney. <laughs> so, you know, it, it may be worth the talk or the conversation of who's good before we need to find just anybody. You do not want a jack-of-all-trades attorney representing you in an officer-involved shooting. You're going to want somebody who's an expert in the field, and, and you're going to have to find out who that person is in your area. That's some real strong, solid advice. And I know people don't like to prepare for things. If you fail to prepare at that time, just remember the advice that I'm giving you now and understand what anxiety starts to feel like, an anxiety attack and a panic attack that will lead to trauma. So you need to get yourself to a trauma center immediately even if you're not hit or a hospital and ask to be treated for trauma as well. So you can get the proper medication just for the time being to calm your body down so you can relax to prevent shock and, and some maybe even fatality. You don't realize the after effects of what that could be. So... And then one other thing I want to throw in there, maybe I'm jumping ahead of the conversation, is to have a therapist lined up that you should at least speak to to make sure you're okay uh, after the incident as well. And again, not the therapist that the police department is sending you to. You need to find somebody independently. We're working on a list for that. Um, and there's a lot going on with that right now. But a therapist who can who can deal with police officers or first responders who may have been involved in officer-involved shooting. So you can't depend on your unions and the and the staff that you work with to give you everything. You need to depend on yourself 
and maybe a close friend with whom you trust to get you the support that you need. Do not depend on your police departments and your unions to do the things or get you the support that you need. It is not going to be sufficient. I've been in this game over 20 years. I've seen it. Sometimes they have great. And sometimes people, I mean, I had a guy call me about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. He wanted to talk to me. And um, I mean, literally caught the shaft and lost his job because he went with a union attorney. And what he's saying to me, and it wasn't an officer-involved shooting. It was just some stupid shit. And I'm like, how would you lose your job over that? He's like, well, the union attorney told me to just put my resignation in. And I'm like, why would yeah. you just retain an attorney, like a good one and keep your job? And it's a good job for like Jersey, six figures, right? So well into the six figures in a lot of agencies now here. So, you know, he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, because your, your, your union guys aren't, you have chiefs that will in classes when I talk about this are like, I tell my guys, don't go to your union attorney, like go get an attorney. They'll tell their guys like, you need an attorney for this one. You know, you don't want to come in here blindsided. You don't want to bring the union attorney in. They're not yeah. good. And guys, you know, I didn't, obviously didn't have one, so fail on my part. Uh, but to help out your attorneys, you know, immediately afterwards, just shut up. Like your partners are going to come up to you. A bunch of people are going to come up to you. They're going to start asking you questions and just kind of have a heads up on what, what you need to answer and what you don't need to answer. Because uh, some of these guys have never investigated an officer involved shooting either. So they may come to you and be like, hey, Mike, what happened with this? What happened with that? You know, you might be able to answer some of it, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't answer all of it, especially without your attorney present and knowing what you can and cannot say, what you should, what you shouldn't say. Not everybody's your friend. Law enforcement has a job to do after the incident's done, seems secure. They have to investigate, you know, the, the incident and possible crimes that may have occurred during it. So uh, somebody that may have been your best friend or a good friend of yours may be, you know, on the investigative ends of things and they got to do their job uh, professionally. So. Yes, yeah, right. And by the way, just so we're clear, this is not something that we're saying to try to circumvent a system that's in place, especially with a clean shoot. It's just that you want to make sure that you make every right move, um, just as much as the defense wants to make every right move. Your defense attorney, you know, your defense on the other side is going to do the same thing for their client. So you're not defending yourself; you're just preparing yourself for. Let's face facts, especially depending on where you work. Right? I think about this. I'm like, man. You'd be fucking crazy to work in Minnesota, right? I mean, in any capacity, right? Like, I mean, you know, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, but obviously it's not hard to figure out. They've got this woman on trial for a, a clear mistake, right? And I think that there is, there should be some kind of, uh, you know, really repercussion for the decision to not, you know, I got to, there's, there's a, there should be some kind of obviously accountability, but accountability, I mean, right. But, but like to be put on trial, like you intended to murder somebody. Um, these are things you must think about where you work and why I tell people you work in these, in these, you think it's not going to happen to you. I put myself into the mindset of a police officer who works in a liberal city. You think it's not going to happen to you. You have to pull that gun out and you have to have a clean, good firing shoot. And if there's anything where it's, where it, it, they are trying to pick up any kind of, consideration of it not being a hundred percent clean, they're going to, they're going to try to hang and send you to prison. And again, liberal cities, that's what you're going to get. You're not getting the benefit of the doubt. So you've got to have your back and you can't depend on your friends to know, you know, you yeah. think you you think your union delegates know the contract back and forth. You think that they're the guys and girls who are going to be your best representation, maybe in a labor contract, but they're, they often don't know what the fuck is going on. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, you call your 
call your spouse, you know, immediately afterwards and you kind of talk to them like, Hey, this is what happened. I'm going to be home in a little bit, depending on what you're, what you guys have to do. You know, you, some have to go back to whatever district or precinct or office you have and answer some basic questions, maybe take some photos, uh, you know, talk, talk about, uh, some mental health stuff before they, you know, send you, send you on home. And even in the worst case scenario, you know, shoot, you might end up going away in cuffs, but to, to call your spouse, fill them in on what's going on, but also to give them the information like, Hey, whatever I talked to you about, I need you to not tell anybody, like don't tell anybody. So they're, uh, they're your partner in this and they didn't go through the Academy. They didn't go through your training. They don't have your training knowledge and experience. So they may not be privy to all that, you know, the, the, the hush, hush, keep it on the radar. Anything that I say about Mike or about the situation may in fact harm the situation worse. They just don't know. So you know, make it a point to tell them that. Cool. What else? What else could you, you need to prepare for? Is it any, any kind of outside press? Dude, one of the worst things, um, and there's really only so much you can do about this, but you know, the, obviously the press is going to get your name. Uh, most agencies have to release the officer's name. Um, so not only are you going to get hit up from random people, I mean, you'll be real popular for, for a couple of days and maybe some media will reach out to you. Uh, some friends you ain't talked to in a long time, acting like they care. They just want to know the drama. Uh, but I mean, what happens when your wife gets approached at work and someone says, Hey, I saw the news. That was your husband. And now she's in confrontational environments at work. What happens when, uh, some, maybe some immediate family or some extended family, or maybe some of your best, best friends don't necessarily agree with maybe an action you took or, uh, you know, read an article that was kind of skewed the wrong way. Now they, they look at you in a different light. They take that out on you. They take that out on your family. Uh, you got that to think about. And then, in addition to the the family aspect, when you, you know, when you're dealing with all this, all this stuff yourself, I mean, is it the, the emotions that you, you experience immediately after, and then like long-term after, you know, are they, are they normal? And then, as you said, going and getting some, uh, some, some counseling, some mental health. Uh, I know we got told we had to go and you go and see, you know, the, uh, the agency's psychiatrist. And that's, that's good for, you know, for not knowing, what you need or being your first, first experience, but nothing wrong going out and figuring out somebody outside of that network to see if you, uh, you know, you need to talk to somebody else about that kind of stuff. So, um, what about any kind of mental health for your family? I mean, you guys have medical benefits, right? Can they employ that and go do it? You think it's smart to have somebody talk to your immediate family? Yeah. So I, I didn't, um, I didn't even consider it to be honest with you for, for the first one, second one, third one, I was just like, yeah, we're, we're good to go. We're good to go. And it took kind of a culmination of some events for me and my wife to sit down and really talk. And we decided that she needed to go talk to somebody alone. I needed to go talk to somebody alone. And then we needed to go see that counselor together to kind of, uh, you know, figure out some stuff for us and maybe not an easy conversation to have, but it's, it's an honest one. And it's, it's for, it's for the better because there's some things that have been said now that I just, I didn't realize I didn't know. I mean, again, to go back to the fact that we picked this lifestyle, they're just kind of on board with us. And when they say they love you and they say that they're going to be with you, no matter what, they may not have realized that this was part of that deal. You know, the, all the drama and all the, the heartache and the emotional stuff that you're going through, uh, they there's, how do they know opposed to marrying some guy that's an office manager, uh, what, what specifically entails me, Hey, you're going to be with me for better or worse. If I'm a cop. Yeah, of course I will. I love you. Okay. Well, 
now this stuff's happening. Now he's got this issue, that issue, and she needs help getting through that too. Cause I don't know how to tell her to get through it. I know my coping skills. I know what I'm doing to cope through that kind of stuff, but have I provided her with that coping skill? I don't think so. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's real stuff, man. And you know, it's funny. Sometimes we find ourselves in a, <clears throat> me, I'm, I'm very resilient and this is not me like crying out. Like Ooh. I'm not actually right. I'm like, <laughs> brother, I I, I, like, I, I mean, I can get punched in a fucking face 90 times, hypothetically speaking. Um, and, and literally it's just a matter of time before I recover from it really rapidly, you know, I have moments of like, right. Like, and then yeah. I'm like the next day I'm like, ah, see, it wasn't that bad. Yeah. Where other people carry this stuff. They carry the burden of, of some of, some of this mental health stuff that people really have to consider of what's going on. What is the collateral damage to, to some of these things, you know? And so the shooting, the shooting itself may not bother you. So the, the actions you took, that may not have bothered you at all, but guess what? Are you going back to work the next day? Yeah, probably not. Like you're probably going to be put on an administrative position or suspended and at home for six months. So that job that you took pride in the, the people you were around all the time that you cared about your ship partners, your teammates, you're, you're somewhat separated from them dudes. And now when you come home from your work, say if you're doing an administrative gig and you've been shredding freaking papers all day and hanging out with secretaries, filing, filing whatever admin paperwork they have at your office, uh, you know, your wife trying to be like a loving, freaking supportive person comes up to you, hugs you like, how was your day, honey? And you're just like, how was my day? My day's freaking horrible because I'm not doing what I want to be doing. I'm stuck for six months shredding papers with, uh, with these people in this office. And that's not what I signed up to do. And she's just trying to be supportive. So she's trying to ask you how your day is and how all this stuff is. But, you know, you just, you don't even want to talk about how your day is because it's an easy day. Don't get me wrong. It's not hard to sit in an office for eight hours and shred papers, but there's just, you know, there's a, there's a word out of your mind. It's not for us. Yeah. Mental tax that comes to that. There's a reason you picked to be a cop and not make a lot of money. It's because you, you had, you know, you wanted to go out and experience these things and help people. And you don't feel like you're helping people shred papers. Do you think it might be a good idea for agencies to accommodate their people more with, with an administrative task if they come in and be on in, in light duty, quote unquote? How about Man. like going to the training division? How about going to the firearms division for now and go and help those guys out? So maybe there are, I, I had to imagine we have quite a few administrators who listen to this podcast. You know, you've got to think about these things when you stick a guy in the back room in, in operations and they're, they're there and they're, you're giving them the training records to file. Maybe, maybe something else. And maybe they do something a little more productive, like finding grants, learning how to do that. Um, you know, maybe researching equipment for the guys and the girls. Hey, we're looking at new tasers. What do you think? Can you take, can you do some research on this stuff? Give us something a little more meaningful uh, because I could find myself coming out of patrol if I had to, and then doing meaningful work in the back office. I think people find some solace there or some purpose. I mean, look at me now, you know, here I am. Uh, the reward that I receive is somebody who's running a training company and, and a sizable one at that and having impact in the world and, you know, changing as nutty as it sounds, we're trying to change how this whole thing's being done. And, it, you know, I want it to last for a hundred or 200 years. That thought of, wow, this company came along. They really started to innovate and have the conversations that needed to be happened uh, and, and offer the training that needed to be had. And, you know, like, I, I get a lot more comfort and a, a lot more reward out of, yeah, I, I, I miss having a good time being in a car chase. You know what I mean? It's not, there's yeah. nothing more fun than that, but I'm certainly comforted on the fact that I was able to pivot out of my adversity into something that was much more meaningful. And it, like, it's really cool. People want to take pictures with you too. 
That's like, <laughs> that's, it's the fucking coolest thing, dude. Like, I can't even, I can't explain to you like how, like how cool it is that people think that you've done so much for them uh, in their life that they want to at least grab a token to say that I got to meet this guy and, and who essentially is changing how things are done. And it's worth the rest of the bullshit that comes with doing what I do. But anyway, um, so the family side of things, what else do you want to talk about regarding, and even a lot of things you want to discuss regarding these incidents, what else to prepare for? Yeah, well, I mean, you brought up a good point. You know, hopefully a lot of administrators do listen to this and they can kind of tap into what they can do better for their guys when they when they go through something like this. And, you know, maybe if it's, hey, man, you know, what what assignment would you like to be, you know, temporarily put on to? But realize that, you know, in addition to giving them mean, meaningful work that makes them feel like they're they're growing in a sense instead of like, you know, when you being punished. When you saw movies of people with like PTSD, you saw a guy like crawling around with an army helmet on after he just woke up from a nightmare in the middle of the night. Like to me, that's not, that's not what PTSD is. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's so many different, different ways to describe it. And there's, there's a lot of stigmatism with it all. Like, man, is that guy a broken toy? Like nobody wants to feel like a freaking broken toy. So the emotions that you're going through super normal, you know, if you're happy, sad, angry, all that stuff. Uh, but be, have him in an assignment where he can somewhat express some of those emotions without maybe some people that shouldn't be hearing, you know, some, some comments or some outbursts, uh, being, being around there's, there's food for thought there. He's going to be getting interviewed, uh, continually, possibly preparing for trial during those, uh, those months while he's on his, uh, his suspension or his administrative, uh, yeah, yeah. suspension is, uh, the, is quite commonly associated with penalty. Yes. So I think I think you probably refer to it more as like an administrative leave. Yep. So so your admin, your admin stuff. So you're gonna, you know, you're possibly gonna be preparing for interviews and, and trials. And there's there's a lot of stress and a lot of home stress that comes with that. So, you know, having a meaningful assignment to where, you know, uh, a guy in that position can still contribute and feel like he's really, really helping. And then also having the flexibility in his assignment to be like, hey, uh, work from home today. Cause I know you got that important thing coming up tomorrow. Maybe it's important for you to, to kind of sit down and hammer down your personal notes for the issues that you have coming on and blah, 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 to prepare for, for whatever you got coming down the line. So that's like, that's like long-term after some, some of the stuff that I'd like to see uh, more and more administrators realize that that's, that's really important. And, you know, the, the growth that you get from the whole thing, the experiences that you have and turning it into a positive, like now you have a, now you have a drive. Now you have a reason to work out. Now you have a reason to shoot better. Now you have a reason to go sign up and start, you know, grappling, doing jujitsu and some other things. You really have some life experience and hopefully you can start uh, molding the, the, the people around you to better prepare them for if they were involved in an incident or, you know, for you yourself, like every incident has like a before that's where we're sitting now. Like every cop listening right now, you're, you're in the before stage of an incident. Like this is the before. Will it ever happen? I don't know, but you're, you're in the before. And then there's the during and whatever you've done in the before to prepare for the during, that's, uh, that is what it is. Whatever you run, you brung. And then the after, and that can be broken down into immediate after and then long-term after, and then it resets, it resets and we go back to the before. So hopefully you just take all the information you learn from the during the immediate after and the long-term after, and you kind of, you kind of break it down figure out what you can do, what you can do better. And then boom, you automatically reset into the before factor again. And you're just, 
your your training, you're preparing yourself and people around you and hopefully your family a little bit for for if and when something really bad ever happens again. It's awesome, dude. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I have any more questions per se to ask you. And, and in closing thoughts, I don't know what I want to make sure that you get everything out that you wanted to get out. So is there anything else that you want to discuss before we start to button this thing up? Oh, man, just the complacency in law enforcement. It breaks my heart because uh, you see it all the time in, uh, in cops that are overweight, cops that can't shoot, cops that that don't sign up and learn how to or continue to learn how to grapple and fight after an academy. Uh, it just, it blows my mind and it's, it's really heartbreaking because I don't know, I don't know what situation um, I'm going to be presented with in the future. And the cops out there, they literally, you don't know, you signed a blank, a blank check to at any point in time, you will go and apprehend the most dangerous person in the area that you work. So you, you, you signed a heavy check and a whole lot of dudes don't realize and when I say dudes, I mean, guys and girls nowadays, um, a lot of people don't realize like the heaviness that comes with that check and what they owe themselves and their family to kind of take, take up in training. If you're not shooting with people that are better than you and trying to get better at shooting, if you're just doing the minimal two calls a year, three calls a year, four calls a year, dude, you're, you're, you're screwing yourself. You're screwing your family. You're screwing your ship partners. Like you're screwing them all. Like a qualification is meant to protect the agency. It's not training. It's meant for the agency. So when you're brought forth after, after an incident, they go, Nah, he was he was trained. He's good. Right. You know, an academy teaching you your your criminal law, your your constitutional law, teaching you how to drive, teaching you how to how to fight and use your de-escalation stuff. Most people never fight again after an academy. Drives me nuts. I don't get I don't get how you think that a check in the box, boom, you know, one one six month stint is mm-hmm. gonna get you the the life skills you need. Like that's not true with any sport. So why are you the exception? So just if I, I wish I wish there was a culture that held cops accountable. And I can't expect administrators to do it because they have to jump through so many hoops. But ship partners and guys on the ground, you need to be holding your partners and your friends accountable. If they're getting overweight, if they can't shoot, if they don't know how to fight and they're your backup, then that's your responsibility to fix. And you can keep putting it off on the agency. The agency doesn't give me the training. You can keep putting it off on, you know, all the overtime you work. I got family at right this. Dude. It doesn't matter when, when that day happens and that day comes and whatever situation you're in, you know, you're hopefully, I just hope that all that you've done to prepare for that moment, hope it's good enough, but hope's not playing. One of our instructors, Jeff Smith commonly says, you could never train too much for a job that can kill you at any moment. Yeah, man. But a lot of people don't look at it like this. A lot of people look at this as just a paycheck. And a lot of those people pay some, some heavy dues. Yeah. Fix it, Dad. Fix the culture. Make everyone listen. <laughs> Dude, I mean, all you can do is say that we've tried to tell you. You know, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I just, all I do, man, is what I do is I offer cops to come to my place and shoot. I have a little crew that comes over and fights, and I just put out dates and times to come fight and shoot. And uh, I have a handful of dudes that take me up on it on a frequent basis. And I got people that duck it all the time that will never show up to train. but. All I'm going to do is keep offering because, hey, maybe one day they'll get something in their head that says maybe my life's worth that. Maybe I won't spend as much time doing softball. Cops love softball and cops love going to the bar and drinking. Don't make time for that. You, you'll, Hey, man, you want to go shoot? I can't. Hey, man, you want to go roll around, grapple, do jujitsu? I can't. Hey, man, you want to go to uh, the bar? Dude, what time? You know, mm-hmm. cops will make that time all day long, but they won't do the other stuff. 
all I'll do, man, is try to make a, like a, a welcoming environment for everybody to come train. Guys that take it up, come on. And if you don't, hopefully you will eventually. This has been uh, very formative, Mike, and I'm glad that I get to meet you and have some FaceTime with you today. Um, I think this is real good stuff, and I think people are going to find value in it. So thanks for being here, man, taking the time out of your day. It's going to mean a lot for a lot of people. And I think you'd be surprised how simple as a 45 to 50-minute conversation this morning uh, will have significant impact as this stuff is memorialized and somebody will listen to this later on and say, you know what, maybe I'm going to grab that extra magazine for off-duty. Maybe I'm going to just change the way I look when I go somewhere. Maybe I'm going to grab that vest because that could have been me. And people really have to start taking into accountability that that can be you. And that's a real reality of doing this job. And it's a real stark reminder that if you are ill-prepared, that it's going to be a very, very pricey cost in in the situation that you're in. So, dude, I hope you have no more uh, OISs. I hope you get spared for the remainder of your career, even though you probably have about 17 years left of this thing. Yeah, I'm going to be around for a minute, man. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, I... Thank you so much, man. I know it's we're near the holidays. Happy holidays to your family and Merry Christmas and whatever your religion is. God bless. And uh, check out streetcop.com. And have you, been, have you been getting into our stuff at all? Dude, I get on the page. And I Honestly, the most entertaining stuff is arguments on there. And that's tend to be what I like see the best. Like Patrick's passenger side approach versus driver's side. And then like all the stuff. I'll read through them comments and stuff. They're <laughs> good, man. You guys got a very, very entertaining crowd that, that follows you, man. It's very passionate dudes. Well, I think that once you get somebody that starts to say things that really make sense to somebody, and yeah. you're going to hold yourself to that. You know, sometimes my wife will say, well, who said that? What, what podcast you used to do when you heard that? I go, yeah, I found the people that I think exude what I want to be uh, in the form of success and behavior. So yeah, when you find that, and I don't think we really get into the conversation as a company of, you know, our personal opinions. It's collected data to help you improve the chances of success on every level. And yeah, when somebody comes along, they're new and they are in a bad place or think they know things. And yeah, it gets, it gets entertaining. Matter of fact, when we get off of this, I'm going to be back into that, into our group right now to be going through some stuff, uh, approving posts, commenting on posts, trying to provide the value. And then we have another podcast today in about three hours. So uh, Mike, Hope, uh, hope to talk to you again, my friend. Hope to see you in the future and, you know, come down to the conference in, uh, in Nashville in 2023. You don't want to miss that one. Yeah, man. I hope to take, uh, hope to take that ivory tower course I've been, I've been reading about. So interesting. Yeah, that is, man. Good stuff. All right, brother. I'll talk to you. Yep. See you guys.